Free people will never remain free if they are not willing, if need be, to fight for their vital interests. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Praise Yahweh and pass the ammunition. The Restoration Hour with Pastor Eli James. All right, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Pastor Eli James here. This is Restoration Hour, December 10th, 2022. And very incredibly, today I was watching a video about an amazing discovery in the city of Jerusalem containing another scroll. This time the scroll is in silver, and it has the Tetragrammaton in Paleo-Hebrew script. We've been talking about discoveries of this kind uh, a lot this year, as a matter of fact, because we have the lead scroll from Mount Ebal, and we have another scroll from Egypt uh, with a, a name of Yahweh on it. So we're, we're looking at more and more evidence coming out about the name of Yahweh in Paleo-Hebrew script coming out abundantly this year. I'm sure there's going to be more uh, more evidence. And as you know, here at Eurofolk Radio, we teach that the true name of God is Yahweh. <laughs> and the Tetragrammaton, Y-H-W-H, is the proper spelling without the, uh, without the uh, I'm sorry, without the vowels, of course. But uh, we have been reporting on that, and I just saw this morning a video about this discovery in Jerusalem by, let me see if I can find his name here, in the article. I'll be reading from an article, and I just also put a link to a description of the article. I can't find the article itself online. It's going all the way back to 1978 from the Biblical Archaeology Review. And the the discoverer of the scroll was a Jew, and he did not intend on finding anything uh, you know, significant. He was just digging out a, a dirty floor when uh, a child that he gave a, a chore to do d- discovered a, an, an entire range of... Uh, Wonderful finds of intact pottery. Inside one of these pieces of pottery, there was the silver scroll that contained the tetragrammaton. Okay, so uh, I put the link. Hello, Paul. Good to have you here. And so let me go to the link from the description of the article. I have the article in print. It's been in my files <laughs> for all these years. I've never, actually I shouldn't say all these years, because uh, I got this from Pastor George Udvari of California. 
David Ewing and I had driven out there, uh, I can't remember now, I think it was the year 2014 or 2015, because he had died and his, uh, his widow had donated all of his materials to this ministry, and it included a, not, a lot of uh, magazines, such as New Beginnings. New Beginnings was a Christian identity magazine published in Virginia, and trying to find the exact date of this issue, we have page two, Roanoke, Virginia, and I had uh, corresponded with them for quite some time, and I, I knew some of the members who were still around after the group had disbanded. So, uh, for example, this is New Beginnings, Yahweh Elohim. Okay, where's the... Uh, doesn't have an exact date here. Okay, here we go. February 1983, Eldon D. Purvis, editor, and the, the first the, the first article on the cover is Scotland's Clans, Parallels with Patriarchal Practice in Israel. So this is a, a, a truly wonderful Christian Israel group and the publication, New Beginnings. Uh, I don't know when they went out of business, but uh, this is an article contained in that issue, The Name of God in the New Testament by George Howard. They reprinted this article, and the discovery was actually made in 1978 in Jerusalem. And so I'm going to be reading from the review of the article from Christadelphianbooks.org, Bible Articles and Lessons, The Name of God in the New Testament. That is the title of the article. And of course, this is by Judeo-Christians, so they're going to conflate Jews with Judahites, and I will correct the language as I go through. But the review of the article here states, under the above heading appeared an article in the March 1978 issue of Biblical Archaeology Review. I may just go ahead and subscribe to this magazine and see if I can get the archive for the full account. But I do have the – there's always very good stuff in that magazine, a lot of which flies in the face of Judeo-Christianity. So it is probably worth my while to subscribe to it. The article was written by George Howard, Associate Professor of Religion and Hebrew at the University of Georgia. His primary thesis is that the earliest Gospels, although written in Greek, and of course we dispute that, we know that they were actually written in Hebrew as well, and we found extant copies of the Hebrew Gospels, but apparently somebody went to great pains to get rid of them. <laughs> right? Maybe Jews. That uh, although written in Greek, used the Hebrew tetragrammaton. This is the technical term to describe the name Yahweh, so-called because in basic unvoweled Hebrew, it consists of four consonants, best translated into English as YHWH. Now, I have reported in the past about the, the sacred names being written in Paleo-Hebrew script from right to left in various Greek documents, 
such as the Septuagint, the earliest copies of the Septuagint, have the name of Yahweh in Paleo-Hebrew script right to left, even though the, the language, the Greek language there, is written left to right. This proves that uh, this, that was written by Judahite scribes, not Jewish scribes, Judahite scribes, commissioned by Ptolemy Philadelphus around 250 B.C. So these were Judahites, not Jews. Of course, the academic world doesn't make any distinction between Judahites and Jews, and neither do most Judeo-Christians. And of course, the Jews want you to believe that they are Judah and or Israel. But continuing with this review, according to Howard, we know from the Dead Sea Scrolls that Judahite, I'm just going to correct the language, Judahite scribes often distinguished the divine name by writing YHWH in ancient Hebrew script while the remainder of the verse was written in the more modern or Aramaic type script. Now this is new for me. I wasn't aware that in New Testament times, in Aramaic script, and of course the Septuagint was written in Greek. It was written in Greek by the Judahite scribes who were able to read and write Greek as well as Hebrew. That's why they were chosen to write the Septuagint. They were able to do that. But now we're talking about Aramaic. And Aramaic was the common language of Judah. Not just Judah, but many Israelites in uh, in Mesopotamia area, in the uh, Greco-Roman world. So that was common. In fact, Aramaic still exists there, and there's Aramaic Bibles, etc., etc. So this I was not aware of, that the Paleo-Hebrew script, right to left, existed in the left-to-right Aramaic script in these times as well. And he documents this. Again, this is just more proof that... Yahweh, the Paleo-Hebrew version of Yahweh, was worshipped or revered by the true Judahites. It was never revered by the Jews because they don't worship Yahweh. They pretend to. So let's continue. Let me repeat this first sentence here. According to Howard, we know from the Dead Sea Scrolls that the Judahite scribes often distinguished the divine name by writing YHWH in ancient Hebrew script. That's Paleo-Hebrew, not the block letters that the Jews use today. While the remainder of the verse was written in the more modern or Aramaic type script. Parenthetical remark here. This is somewhat equivalent to our italicization of key words. Sometimes this differentiation was carried one step further and four dots were substituted for the sacred name. It being felt apparently that Yahweh was so sacred that it should not even be written. We know also that conservative Judahites adopted quite early the practice of not pronouncing Yahweh in Scripture. Now this could be Jews here because he he may be talking about the Masoretic text here. And, of course, uh, mainstream scholars don't make any differentiation between the Masoretic Jewish text and uh, the Judahite text. But uh, it's true that in pre-Christian times, the name of Yahweh was suppressed. The reason why it was suppressed 
is because so many Judahites were making false oaths in the name of Yahweh that Yahweh himself took his name out of the mouths of those Judahites and Israelites who swore false oaths. Okay? And of course, that being the case, the Jews capitalized on that uh, reality and proclaimed, well, now nobody can pronounce the sacred names because you're all sinners, right? Well, certainly the Jews are sinners, but we know for a fact that uh, the Bible says nothing of the kind. The Bible just tells us not to take his name in vain. It says nothing about uh, forbidding the pronunciation or the use of In fact, it says quite the opposite. It says publish the name of Yahweh. Okay? So the, the cultural... The, the cultural reason why the Judahites stopped using the name of Yahweh, and there could be more to it than that, because when they were occupied by the Greeks and later the Romans, and then the Edomites with the Romans, that it may have been illegal, made illegal by the scribes and Pharisees, the Edomite scribes and Pharisees, to pronounce the name of Yahweh. That is one of my speculation as to why we don't see the name of Yahweh in the New Testament. However, this article clears this all up and tells us that indeed the name of Yahweh did originally occur in the Greek New Testament. It's only later that it was stricken from the New Testament for various reasons. Okay, and I'm, I'm sorry I don't have a link to this article. I have a link to the review of the article, and that's what I'm reading from right now. So let me continue. Okay, let's continue. So at some point, four dots were substituted for the Tetragrammaton. It being felt apparently that Yahweh was so secret that it should not even be written. We know also that the conservative Judahites and or Jews, in this case, adopted quite early the practice of not pronouncing Yahweh in Scripture, reading or prayer, but saying Adonai instead. As Christadelphians, we are generally familiar with a similar practice in our devotions, though for a much different reason. Many of us regularly substitute spirit or for ghost and ecclesia for church in our reading or for of the King James Version. These traditional practices suggest to the Judahites, the personal name of God, was a special word which required special treatment, both in writing and speaking. If only because even the Judahites were taking Yahweh's name in vain, swearing false oaths in his name, making bad deals in his name, etc., etc. We're not to do that. Continuing, the New Testament texts that have been available to modern biblical scholars use the Greek word kyrios, or Lord, and occasionally Theos, God, when quoting from the Old Testament in which Yahweh appears. In this they agree with the practice adopted in the only available complete texts of the Septuagint, a Greek translation of the Old Testament made by the Judahites in pre-Christian times. However, a few scattered textual fragments of the Septuagint, which have come to light during the last century, have used not Kyrios, but the Tetragrammaton written in Hebrew in an otherwise Greek text. And we have proven that. We have uh, items on Eurofolk Radio about that, showing 
uh, examples of this, uh, fragments of the Septuagint written in Greek, left to right, with the Paleo-Hebrew Tetragrammaton right to left. So this is common knowledge today. This indicates that, at least in some instances, the ancient practice of a differentiated tetragrammaton was carried forward into the Greek text of Scripture. These few fragments, well, this shows that the Judahite authors revered the name of Yahweh in order to preserve it, so that they could preserve it. These few fragments might have been dismissed as rare exceptions, were it not for the discoveries in the 1950s of Old Testament scrolls in the Judean desert that almost certainly date to the first century. In these Greek writings, the name of God was written either in old-style Hebrew, which is Paleo-Hebrew, or transliterated with the Greek letters I-A-O, Yao, <laughs> which, which might be an attempt at pronunciation, or uh, a uh, or a Greek version of the Tetragrammaton, I-A-O, which would have been pronounced Yah. With this added evidence, we may now say with near certainty that it was a Judahite practice before, during, and after New Testament times to preserve Yahweh in biblical texts. Indeed, this presents a striking contrast with the later Christian copies of the Septuagint and the standard New Testament text. Yeah, the name of Yahweh has been written out of them and replaced by these words, Kyrios, Theos, and L-O-R-D. Howard postulates that the old Judahite custom of reversing or reserving God's name in veiled symbols for the Tetragrammaton continued among the predominantly Jewish church or Judahite church in the first century, there was no such thing as a Jewish church. There was a Judahite church. The Jews are a completely different people, namely Edomites. A famous rabbinical passage, Talmud Shabbat 13, from that period discusses the problem of destroying heretical texts, very probably containing books of Judahite Christians. The problem arises for the rabbinical writer because the her- heretical texts, so-called, contain the divine name. Okay, which the Jews don't want to be pronounced or spoken or even talked about. And their wholesale destruction would include the destruction of that name also. This further suggests that the Judahite Christians did did not translate the divine name into Greek, since a corrupted translation of the name would have posed no such problem to scrupulous Judahites. Let me read that, try to get the author's logic here. This further suggests that the Judahite Christians did not translate the divine name into Greek, since a corrupted translation of the name would have posed no such problem to scrupulous Judahites. I think he's referring to the fact that these Judahite Christians weren't familiar with the name anymore. Let's continue. Further, the professor suggests that as the wave of, (laughs) not Gentile, okay, so again, we're dealing with Judeo-Christian rhetoric here, the Greco-Roman Israelites, the lost tribes of Israel, the ten northern tribes, 
which we have referred to as a dispersion. As the wave of dispersed Israelite converts began to overwhelm the Judahite element in the Ecclesias, the special, this special treatment of God's name began to decline. And that's, that's to be expected because the Greco-Roman Israelites of the ten lost tribes hadn't, you know, they had lost contact with the land of Judea for over 700 years by this time. So when such dispersed Israelite scribes began copying the text, they began substituting Greek words. Dispersed Israelite scribes who lacked familiarity with Hebrew writing could hardly be expected to preserve Yahweh, especially in its coded forms of archaic script or dots. Perhaps this contributed to the copious use of substitutes like Kyrios and Theos as new manuscripts were created. And the Hebrew name gradually phased out in both the Septuagint and the New Testament by the end of the first century. So this is very likely because we know that obviously the dispersed of the lost tribes would not have had any familiarity with Hebrew at all. So, and they didn't care about pronouncing it or not pronouncing it. They just translated it into a Greek form. So we can see that this is how the process of converting Yahweh in the New Testament was turned into Theos or Kyrios. The point here is that it originally was contained in the, in the original writings of the New Testament, the name of Yahweh was contained in those writings, probably right to left, in either code, Y-H-W-H, or the four dots and other symbols that uh, they used, with, or the name was actually written out right to left. And there's evidence for that as well. So let's continue. So, this answers the question that I have long pondered is when and how was the name of Yahweh deleted from the Bible, right? We know it belongs in the Old Testament for sure because every instance of YHWH is uh, standing there as representing YHWH. You know, L-O-R-D always represents YHWH. So we know that it was never really deleted from the Old Testament, it still stands there, but it's represented by YHWH, or L-O-R-D, rather. So, but in the New Testament, the question is, was the name of Yahweh ever in the New Testament? And this article says, yes, it was. Okay, so let's continue. So after the gradual disappearance of Yahweh from the Septuagint and the Greek New Testament, it is not difficult to imagine the next step in which the understanding of the name as well was lost to a church drifting rapidly towards apostasy. Okay, and that apostasy continues today. We've had revivals, but for the most part, there's lots of apostasy, right? Yeah, so let's continue. The effect of this loss was no doubt serious for the second century church, 
Even today we may experience certain difficulties in scriptural interpretation due to the imprecise translation of the divine name. Examples abound. Quote, The Lord, L-O-R-D, said unto my Lord, with a capital L and lowercase r-d, Matthew 22.44, Mark 12.36, Luke 20.42, would be quite confusing were it not a direct citation from the Old Testament. By contrast, the early church may have read, Yahweh said to my Lord, clear and simple. Okay, and I think uh, Lord is translated from Adonai, if I'm not mistaken there. So, yeah, there's no mistaking it in the Old Testament. It's it's two different words entirely, (laughs) Yahweh and Adonai. But a, a modern Christian would look at that and say, What's it? What, why are these two different spellings here? It's very confusing. Quote, prepare the way of, Mark 1, 3, whom? Yahweh, as in Isaiah 40, verse 3, and Malachi 3, 1. Or as Jesus, as Mark 1, 1 indicates. Or perhaps both, in the sense that God manifested himself through Christ? But who can definitely say? We possess no copy of Mark that uses the Tetragrammaton. Therefore, Kyrios is veiled in ambiguity. Now, I hadn't pondered this question. I did a show on the Greek ver I'm sorry, the Hebrew version of Matthew, which was found in India several years ago. And it didn't occur to me to ask whether or not the name of Yahweh was contained in that Hebrew version of Matthew. So maybe I can revisit that at some point and find out. Anyway, so we possess no copy of Mark that uses the Tetragrammaton. Therefore, Kyrios is veiled in ambiguity. Quote, the one who boasts... Let him boast in the Lord, 1 Corinthians one thirty one, Whom? God or Christ? Or that is Yahweh or Yahshua, as we would say in Christian identity. These examples are sufficient to suggest if Howard's hypothesis is true, which it is, as we'll find out as we read through it, that in many passages it is nothing but guesswork as to which one is meant, okay? So, uh, and its replacement with Kyrios blurred the original clear distinction between the Lord God and the Lord Christ. Kyrios thenceforth was pressed into double duty as a standard title of Jesus, the Lord, and also as the New Testament equivalent of Yahweh. In many passages, it is nothing but guesswork as to which one is meant. As time went on, those who had known Jesus in the flesh became fewer and fewer in the Ecclesias, and superstition and ignorance made a natural resurgence. Thus, these two figures, God and his Son, were brought into such close proximity that it became next to impossible to distinguish them. Therefore, it may be that the removal of the Tetragrammaton from the New Testament contributed significantly to the development of the doctrine of the Trinity— and the related obscuring of the doctrine of God manifestation. 
It is a fairly common Christadelphian practice in some ecclesiastes to substitute the Hebrew names of God, Yahweh, Elohim, and so forth, for the extremely vague Lord and God of the Old Testament. This is useful enough, provided that the true meanings of the original names are known, but it may also contribute to the confusion of those not sufficiently grounded in the truth. For this reason, the practice should be followed discriminatingly. So should the word Judah versus Jew. In New Testament reading, however, the student who wishes to know and use the appropriate divine name must realize, again given the above thesis, that uncertainties due to the transcription exist. He must therefore examine the context of each passage before making an educated guess as to whether Kyrios means God or Jesus. And still he is faced with the unsettling conclusion that the scripture message in its original clarity is to some degree hidden from him. Well, again, I have to refer to my colleague, David Ewing, who spent years studying both the Old and New Testament correlating verses, uh, showing that there are cross-references from New Testament to Old Testament. And those cross-references, you can easily determine from what it says in the Hebrew what it says in the Old Testament, whether or not the name of Yahweh should be used in the New. Okay, if it contains the name of Yahweh in the Old Testament, it should contain the name of Yahweh in the New Testament. If it contains the name Yahshua in the Old Testament, it should contain the name Yahshua in the New Testament. That's pretty straightforward. So unless the verses in the Old Testament are rather unclear, which Usually they are not. They either contains the name of Yahweh or Yahshua or both. Because Yahshua means Yahweh saves. Then there should be no problem. The question has always been, why is the name of Yahweh not clearly enunciated in the New Testament? So that is the review of this article. And a pretty good review based on the fact that it's a Judeo-Christian author. But let's go into this, and this is going to take two or three episodes. And maybe I can find a copy of this online so we can read it together. But for now, I'm going to have to read from New Beginnings. And the article titled, The Name of God in the New Testament by George Howard. Question. Did the earliest Gospels use Hebrew letters for the Tetragrammaton? That is the question. And that's a good question. It's a very important question. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, no, what we're teaching here at Eurofolk Radio is not allowed by the synagogue of Satan. But we, can, we persist, right? We persist the best we can. So let's continue. This is good stuff, folks. This is really good stuff. He says, many early copies of the New Testament abbreviate sacred words, in parentheses here, nomina sacra. The earliest of these abbreviations stand for, quote, God, quote, Lord, quote, Christ, and quote, Jesus. Abbreviations of these words were formed by writing their first and last letters and placing a line over them. And, of course, we... We do shorthand all the time. 
So that's a common practice. It's not a sign of disrespect. It's just a, a, a sign of, hey, shorthand is quicker, <laughs> right? Shorthand is quicker, like ASAP, for example, right? As soon as possible. So those types of abbreviations occur all the time. And for this morning, we did talk about uh, Genesis and Revelation, the fact that uh, abbreviations of this type were common in the Old Testament as well. All right? So, but the suppression of the name of Yahweh is another matter. We're talking here about the Jewish suppression of the name of Yahweh. In the New Testament, it seems more to be the case that because the Israelites of the dispersion were not familiar with Hebrew at all, that they just dropped it all together in favor of either Aramaic or Greek. Okay? So, let's continue here. Abbreviations of these words were formed by writing their first and last letters and placing a line over them, thus using English to illustrate, so he's just underlining three three letters of the word here. Instead of overscoring, he's underscoring. To illustrate, God would appear as GD and Lord as LD. The attempt to differentiate and dignify the sacred name of God goes back to pre-Christian times. It was done first by the Judahites. From the Dead Sea Scrolls, we know that Judahite scribes often distinguished the divine name Yahweh. Yahweh is known as the Tetragrammaton because it consists of the four consonant Hebrew letters Yad, He, Vav, He, often written in English YHWH. Frequently, the scribes who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls would write the Tetragrammaton in Old Paleo-Hebrew script, although the scroll was otherwise written in square Aramaic script. So this is the first I had heard of this, because I hadn't read this article until this morning, that there was such a practice in Aramaic. I knew there was such a practice in Greek because of the Septuagint. Let's continue. An example is the Habakkuk commentary found in Cave 1. In the portion, now this is 1978, folks, when this discovery was made. This kind of information has also been suppressed. What, uh, 40 years? 40 years? We know the Jews have suppressed information about the Dead Sea Scrolls since they were found. I think they were found in the 1940s. That's, or... I think it was during the Six-Day War. Oh, it was during the Six-Day War, the Jews took control of Qumran. But I think the discoveries are even older. So let's continue. So we're talking about the Habakkuk commentary found in Cave 1. In the portion reproduced in the photograph on page 9, the, the Tetragrammaton appears twice in Paleo-Hebrew scripts. So this is an Aramaic document, but the Tetragrammaton appears in Paleo-Hebrew script, not the Aramaic script. And as he says, to finish the sentence, although the scroll was otherwise written in square Aramaic script. Okay, 
So, <coughs> excuse me. The Tetragrammaton appears twice in Paleo-Hebrew script. On line 7, word 3, reading from right to left, and on line 14, word 7. The rest of the text is in square Aramaic script, the same script used as the basis for writing Hebrew today. The Tetragrammaton is used in the Habakkuk commentary only in biblical quotations. Whenever reference is made to God in the commentary portion, the generic word L, they spell it E-E-L here, (laughs) the generic word L for Elohim, God, is used. This is true not only in the Habakkuk commentary, but in other Qumran Dead Sea Scroll documents as well. So, based on this information, we find out that the Aramaic script of the Dead Sea Scrolls often contained the Paleo-Hebrew script, certainly for the name of Yahweh, right to left, as opposed to left to right. Let's continue. The Qumran Covenanters had other devices for circumventing the use of God's name. Now, it's quite possible that the Essenes, and these were Essenes who inhabited the Qumran territory and kept these scrolls, had also picked up the habit of not pronouncing the sacred names or just this habit of not writing it down. or I, Well, it's pretty obvious they did write it down in Paleo-Hebrew, all right? So I, can't, I won't jump to any conclusions there, but let's see what the author has to say. The Qumran Covenanters had other devices for circum- circumventing the use of God's name. Uh, maybe circumventing is too strong a word here. For some reason, they didn't use it all the time. It's obvious that they used it sometimes. Sometimes they would write four or five dots in place of the tetragrammaton. In the community rule, for example, the writer quotes Isaiah 43 as follows, quote, prepare in the wilderness the way of dot, 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 unquote. We know from the Masoretic text that the four dots stand for the tetragrammaton, YHWH. This same passage is quoted again in a document discovered in Qumran K4, with four dots representing the divine name. At times, dots were placed above the Tetragrammaton when it had been written by mistake, apparently as a means of canceling the word without actually erasing it. Judahites early adopted the practice of not pronouncing the divine name when scripture was read aloud, even in prayer. The word Adonai, Lord, was and is to this day read by Jews, now we're talking about modern-day Jews, instead of the Tetragrammaton, YHWH, which appears on the page. And that could be uh, true of both Judahites and Jews today. Such practices as writing the divine name in archaic script, of substituting dots for it, or of avoiding it altogether, suggest that to the Judahites, the sacred name for God was a special word which required special treatment, both in writing and oral, te- oral reading. So it could be more the case that writing it out in uh, what uh, secular, sacerdotal, you know, the common language was not acceptable to them, and they knew that other people would be reading these manuscripts. Maybe that's why they did it. 
Just speculation on my part, but let's continue. Christian scriptures frequently quote passages from the Old Testament in which the divine name Yahweh appears in the original Hebrew. In these quotations, however, the divine name is translated into the Greek word Kyrios for Lord or occasionally Theos, God. Both of these words are generic words for God, not limited to the Hebrew God whose name is Yahweh and who is represented in the Hebrew Bible by the Tetragrammaton. Most of these Old Testament quotations in the New come from the Septuagint, a Greek translation of the Old Testament made by Judahites in pre-Christian times. Septuagint, or at least the extant later Christian copies of it, usually renders the Tetragrammaton by Kyrios. The New Testament simply follows this practice. In 1944, W.G. Waddell, discovered the remains of an Egyptian papyrus scroll, Papyrus Fuad 266, dating to the 1st or 2nd century B.C., which included part of the Septuagint. You know, to the B.C.E. wasn't in use yet in 1978, which included part of the Septuagint. In no instance, however, was Yahweh translated to Kyrios. Instead, the Tetragrammaton itself in square Aramaic letters, was written into the Greek text. This parallels the Qumran Covenanters' use of the Paleo-Hebrew script for the divine name in a document which was otherwise written in square Aramaic text. So we see here the attempt to preserve the name of Yahweh was common in these days. It was probably a century or two later that it became uncommon. An even closer parallel to the practice Waddell found in Papyrus Fuad 266 comes from the 2nd century AD. Judahite translations of the Old Testament into Greek by Aquila, Symmachus, and Theodosian in, oh, period, I think there's a period. In 1897, F.C. Burkett published some fragments of Aquila's Greek Old Testament which had been found in the debris of a Geniza, a storeroom for worn-out manuscripts, of the old synagogue in Cairo. These fragments, which are the underwriting of the palimpsests, scraps clearly, uh, palimpsests are parchments written over erased or earlier writing. Okay, so palimpsests are, it's like putting a painting over an older painting, (laughs) right? Not necessarily destroying the older painting, but you have to go to great pains to find out what the original painting was. And here also, great pains to find out what the original writing was. The palimpsest scraps clearly show the Hebrew tetragrammaton in Paleo-Hebrew script written into otherwise Greek text. A number of other similar examples have also come to light. So this article is in 1978. Has any Christian minister <laughs> done anything with it? Okay, we've been proclaiming loud and strong here that the true names Yahweh and Yahshua should be used by us Christians, us Hebrew Christians, us Judahite and Israelite Christians. You don't have to, but you should because we are those people 
and we should use the names that Yahweh gave us. But let's continue. At the end of the last century, Giovanni Cardinal Mercati discovered a palimpsest in the Ambrosian Library of Milan containing parts of the Psalter to Origen's Hexapla. The Hexapla, written by Origen, a 3rd century church father, is a multi-columned work containing, among other things, the translations of Aquila, Symmachus, and Theodosian. And I think the Hexapla means that there are six columns, each one in a different language. All the columns show the Tetragrammaton, written in square Aramaic script, although the texts are otherwise written in Greek. So here we go. This is uh, <laughs> late stuff, right? Certainly after the death of Christ, and after the death of all the apostles. Fragments of Psalm 22 from Origen's Hexapla, found in the Chirogeniza, were published in 1900 by C. Taylor. These fragments show that the tetragram written into the Greek columns of Aquila, Symmachus, and the Septuagint in the strange form of Pippi, P-I-P-I. This is a clumsy attempt to represent with Greek letters what the tetragrammaton looked like in Hebrew. The Greek letter Pi, which is the letter P, somewhat resembles the Hebrew letter He. The Fuad Papyrus scroll is the earliest example we have examined, dating to the 1st or 2nd century B.C. Here, for the first time, we have clear evidence that in pre-Christian times, the Septuagint, at least sometimes, did not translate the divine name with the Greek word Kyrios as has been thought. Rather, it preserved the Hebrew word YHWH itself. Could it be that Judahites had always written the Tetragrammaton in Hebrew into the text of their Greek Bibles, and that this practice represented a continuous tradition from the earliest Septuagint through the 2nd century, translations of Aquila, Symmachus, and Theodosian? Or is the Fuad manuscript a maverick, the only one in its day to do such a thing? Good question. Let's find the answer. In 1952, in 1952, fragments of a scroll of the twelve prophets in Greek were found in a cave at Nahal Hever, H-E-V-E-R, in the Judean desert. Pere D. Barthelemy announced the discovery of the scroll in 1953 and ten years later published a transcription of it. In all probability, the document dates to the beginning of the first Christian century. Like the Fuad Papyrus, it too writes the Tetragrammaton in Hebrew, in old-style script, in an otherwise Greek text. At Qumran K4, a fragment of the Greek translation of Leviticus confirms that the divine name was preserved in the pre-Christian Septuagint. In this scroll, dated by P.W. Skeon, S-K-E-H-A-N, to the 1st century B.C., the Tetragrammaton is transliterated with the Greek letters I-A-O, which we have found earlier is pronounced Yah. Thus, we have three separate pre-Christian copies of the Greek Septuagint Bible 
And in not a single instance is the Tetragrammaton translated as Kyrios, or for that matter, translated at all. We can now say with near certainty that it was a Judahite practice before, during, after the New Testament period to write the divine name in Paleo-Hebrew or square Aramaic script, or in transliterating right into the Greek text of Scripture. This represents or presents a striking comparison with the Christian copies of the Septuagint and the quotations of it in the New Testament, which translate the Tetragrammaton as Kyrios or Theos. Okay, so at this point, I think it's fair to say, fair to conclude, that the switchover from Yahweh and Yahshua to God and Theos is a later development that the original New Testament probably did contain the sacred names. And this article gives two photographic examples of these texts. Here it is, the commentary. A fragment of the 12 prophet scroll found in the Nahal Hever Caves the scroll is in Greek except for the Tetragrammaton on lines 3 and 5 in Paleo-Hebrew script. The text is the portion of Zechariah 8, 19, and 9 through 4. Uh, I'm sorry, Zechariah 8, 19, 2, 9, 4. Why do Christian copies of the Septuagint reflect the practice so radically different from that of the Judahites in designating the divine name? Good question. Because those early Christians, the vast majority of them, were Judahites, plus a lot of dispersed Israelites. Well, I'll bet there was still disputation among them. There was a lot of disputation among them as to whether Yahshua was the Messiah or not. And, of course, we know the Jews, the Edomite Jews, had their say in such matters, too. They were obviously trying to suppress the Tetragrammaton as well. So let me repeat this question. Why do Christian copies of the Septuagint reflect a practice so radically different from that of the Judahites in designating the divine name? Or do they? We have already mentioned that while Christians translated the Tetragrammaton as either Kyrios or Theos, They abbreviated these surrogates by writing only their first and last letters and by placing a line over them to attract attention. What was the purpose of these Christian abbreviations? In 1907, Ludwig Traube suggested that the Namina Sacra, and the Namina Sacra is sacred names but in abbreviated form, were of Hellenistic Judahite origin. Very good. The first of these, he suggested, was Theos, which was abbreviated without vowels so as to follow the Hebrew custom of writing consonants only. Soon, Theos was followed by Kyrios, which became an alternate surrogate, and the first and last letters became an alternate contraction. A shorthand. According to Traube, These contractions gave rise to the belief that the important thing was to write sacred words in an abbreviated form or to pronounce 
Jesus as Jesus. <laughs> okay. Of course, the German pronounced the usha of, of Jesus as Jesus. And they didn't have the change in the pronunciation of the letter J as we do in English. The letter J in German still is pronounced like a Y. It was this change in the English language that brought about the word Jesus. And this did not happen until the late 1600s. Let's continue. So, this resulted in a number of words being written in a similar way. For example, spirit, father, and heaven. And here is another example, picture example of Habakkuk 2.13 and 2.14. Column 10 of the Habakkuk commentary found in Cave 1 at Qumran, which contains two quotations from Habakkuk. Note especially line 4, word 3, reading from right to left, and line 11, word 7, in which a single word appears in a different script. The word is the ineffable name of God, Yahweh, known as a tetragrammaton, because it contains four letters, yod heh vav The Tetragrammaton is written in archaic Hebrew script, while the remainder of the scroll is written in the newer square Hebrew script, which is the basis for modern Hebrew writing. In the Habakkuk commentary, the Tetragrammaton is used only in biblical quotations. In other portions, when the reference is made to God, it is written as the generic word L. Picture copyright, John C. Trevor, 1964. Okay, so we've had this evidence before us since 1978. And no Christian scholars have bothered to comment on it. I wonder how many Judeo pastors read the Biblical Archaeology Review. I used to pick it up regularly when I lived in Chicago because the bookstore at Cicero and Irving Park had, oh man, you can't count the number of magazines they carried. And Biblical Archaeological Review was one of them. And so I would pick up an occasional copy. But let's continue. Let's see, we have uh, about four minutes left. In 1959, A-H-R-E PAP, P-A-A-P, took up the issue again and argued that the system of contracted nomina sacra was of Judahite Christian origin emanating from Alexandria about 100 A.D., and I have argued more and more that the Alexandrian Judahite community were not Jews, they were not Edomites, they were true Judahites, and they believed in Torah. They did not believe in Talmud. They believed in Torah, and this this is the way it must be understood. Those people were true Judahites, they just didn't live in, in Judea. It seems to me, however, that a much better case can be made that the system of contraction is of, he uses the word Gentile, that is of dispersed Israelite Christian origin. The divine name, YHWH, was and is the most sacred word in the Hebrew language. So it is hardly likely that Judahites of any sort would have removed it from their Bibles. Furthermore, we know now from discoveries in Egypt and the Judean desert that Judahites wrote the Tetragrammaton in Hebrew, even in their Greek texts. In all likelihood, 
Judahite Christians felt the same way about the divine name and continued to preserve it in Hebrew in their Bibles. A famous rabbinic passage, Talmud Shabbat 13,5, discusses the problem of destroying heretical texts, very probably including the books of the Judahite Christians. The problem arises for the rabbinic writer because the heretical texts contain the divine name, okay, which the Jews didn't want Christians to pronounce or preserve, for that matter. And their wholesale destruction would include the destruction of the divine name. This further suggests that Judahite Christians did not translate the divine name into Greek. Very good. If only the author understood that the Jews are not Judahites. Okay? So, folks, I'm going to end it at this major paragraph and pick this up next week because it uh, proceeds for another full page. And there's another article that I'll just quickly reference here. It's actually a reference to the actual find, the archaeological find in Jerusalem, which the video I saw today, and which prompted me to do this show. And when I post this show, I will include the video of that archaeological find. The Jerusalem Post said that Barke, who was the Jewish Israeli archaeologist who discovered this, it was actually discovered by a kid that he gave the assignment to. And this was made in 1978. But he did not, when did he, oh, so he finally made the announcement in 1983, five years later. And it says here, the Jerusalem Post said Barkay kept it secret for fear of arousing the displeasure of Orthodox Jews who oppose archaeological digging in the vicinity of tombs. Very interesting. Well, the Jews oppose archaeology, real archaeology, period, right? And that's why we have reported in the past that the Jews destroy skeletons that are found in the area of Judea because they depict Anglo-Saxon Caucasian skeletons. The cover-up continues, folks, and Jesus said, nothing hidden shall remain hidden. Praise Yahweh, pass the ammunition. See you all next time. Take care and Yahweh bless. Free people will never remain free if they are not willing, if need be, to fight for their vital interests. In this present crisis, Government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Praise The Restoration Hour with Pastor Eli James.